Get him. Welcome, folks. Y'all come on in and make yourself at home. This here, well, this is the Rolling Thunder Podcast. Your home for all things Rolling Thunder. This episode of the Rolling Thunder Podcast is presented by Mossy Oak Camouflage because everything is better in Bottomland and Lucky Duck Premium Decoys, Masters of Deception. And Kent Cartridge. We just hadn't updated the intro <laughs> That's commercial right. yet. That's <laughs> Welcome right. to the podcast. Kent Cartridge is a new sponsor of the podcast. Yep, I appreciate y'all. How Very are you? Much so. How are you, pal? Man, I'm good. Good. I'm doing real well. Good. Are you tired? I'm working on a little Have tired. you gotten more sleep the last, like, four days than you have in the previous <laughs> five weeks? You know, that actually might be true. We've been pulling some late nights, but at the same time with the baby and everything, it's been... We're getting better. Liz is a champ. She's really been she's carrying real, the load. She's a real trooper. You have got a, what, a five-week baby at home? Yep. And you've left home? Yep. And you're, you've been gone from home for four or five days? Something like that. Some Lost count? <laughs> Something like that. Feels kudos, like we've been here a minute. Big kudos and shout out to Liz. Yep, and then coming back and then a few weeks after that or a little over a week after that. Don't don't look forward on the calendar. I'm just trying to give you. It's hard not for, to look forward for, for behind me. <laughs> Depends on what you're looking forward to. Where you to. been? <laughs> so I know what's two weeks out. <laughs> Man, well, we've been away from the podcast for a little bit. Yeah. That will change effective this week. Absolutely, we're going to get back onto the weekly or that's right. Maybe even it's a twice tu- a week. It's a Tuesday. We're recording. That's, that's right. Good. That's good news. <laughs> that's good news. We're ahead of the curve. Good. Things have been a little busy, but. Uh, Good. Spence, you want to kind of set the stage for where in the world we are and what yeah, we're doing? Yeah, sure, sure. So we are in North Carolina, and we are about, I'm going to get this wrong, but maybe 45 minutes east of Raleigh, somewhere between Raleigh and the coast, I think is about relative to like Memphis, Tennessee. We're, we're a whole lot closer to the beach than we normally are. That's right. But we're a whole lot further north and east than we normally are when we're at the beach. <laughs> uh, but we absolutely shellacked the geese yesterday morning in a cut cornfield, and that was phenomenal. Um, had no idea that was coming. We we had a job for a gentleman that we met through the Shin Gear Waiters, wanted to build a website and do some photography and videography, and so we said, okay, we'll we'll, we'll come visit and um, you know, I haven't learned I've most everything I know I've learned the hard way. And one of the things I've learned the hard way was that if you go somewhere, you might as well have your shotgun and a couple boxes of shells in the truck with you. And so I threw my shotgun in the truck and threw a pair of waders and a jacket in the truck and figured I've been cold before. So I could figure out, you know, if the temperature changes, I'm dry, maybe warm, maybe cold, who knows, but at least I'll have a at least shotgun you're ready. to shoot. Now, right. And uh, we rolled in Sunday evening, and uh, this fine gentleman that we met said, hey, y'all want to go goose hunting in the morning? (laughs) Of course. (laughs) He said, the license is kind of expensive. And I said, man, I don't care about that. Whatever it is, you know. (laughs) So we bought a license, and we went goose hunting yesterday morning. It was a hell of a good time. Um, But we've made a new friend, and we've got him here on the podcast. His name is Skip Valentine. 
And so, welcome to the podcast, Skip. I feel like I'm your friend. <laughs> I have, I don't know y'all except for about 24 hours, but I feel like I've known you it's for more like, like 24 years. We're going like on 48, 48 hours. Years. Oh, is it 48? You know, but, you know, I mean, I agree. I mean, I did go home and sleep with my <laughs> wife and my dog, so <laughs> I have had time away from y'all That's for a, valid a little bit. So That's right. That's right. That's right. No, the goose hunt was good. was good. It was. Normally, I told Rob yesterday, normally when I go somewhere and I'm not the straw boss and I hadn't scouted it, it, it never, you know, like one of the rules of thumb I've learned is like don't just expect it to be glorious, you know. Somebody yeah, or else get disappointed that Right, it right, because you're just setting yourself up for disappointment. I mean, they had them dialed into a T. They I mean, did. We were on the X. We had – we had wind. We were in a cut cornfield. I was in a layout blind. I just loaded my gun. I was sitting in poison group. ivy in the back. Yeah. <laughs> that's a valid that's, point. Yeah, that's Jason right. had white pants on. <laughs> is there not something where you're not supposed to wear white pants past September? Or is that just the movie with Molly <laughs> Greenwall? Is, that's was, right. That's right. Uh, in Jason's defense, I mean, he was expecting a layout blind. But we know and, it came and together in, and quickly. In your, and in your defense, I mean, you were counting guns and not creatives. <laughs> True. I, I didn't know what a creative meant. I mean, I've been around the world and felt like I've done a little bit of everything. <laughs> and when I got that hit on me, I thought. What are those? Mm. What the heck is a creative? Is that like a different being? A different Do they get an absentee ballot? <laughs> <laughs> not enough of them. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yes, they do, but not enough to matter. <laughs> Oh, me. But, I mean, it got light, and, man, it was like – I felt like I was in Somerville. I mean, I mean they came right where y'all said they were going to come from. Oh, yeah. It was awesome. You guys really had them no, pinned we're, down. We're really fortunate, you know, to be able to goose hunt. And I've goose hunted all my life on the eastern shore of Maryland, and I've hunted with really good goose hunters. Mm-hmm. And um, I remember one of my mistakes one time as a child, and we never had full-body decoys. We all had homemade, cut-out, cardboard or, well – plywood so my job like, was to paint them okay and i always used to think like well they face this way and that way and i remember the first time i faced them all the wrong way and i had like six dozen <laughs> oh, and my God. dad my dad came out there and said they're all facing the wrong way and i said what do you mean they look like they're all feeding in this cornfield he said no geese always feed into the wind mm-hmm. and so i'll never forget that every time i set a decoy down i never forget what he told me you know 30 years ago, mm. face that decoy in the wind. Mm-hmm. He said, that goose is going to face in the wind. Yeah. I just learned something. There you go. Yeah. It's a good word. But we learn it's, something it's all the time. It's, it's, I mean, we do. That's right. We learn every day. That's what's part about being out in God's world and that's right. seeing everything. And, and, you know, everybody says, well, I know a lot of this and I know about that. And he's an expert. No. So one of the things we've learned this the last couple of days with Skip that's so interesting is how different the eastern or the east coast, the Atlantic flyway is mm-hmm. than our flyway. Like the things that we, the places that we would hunt in Arkansas mm-hmm. or even in West Tennessee for that matter versus the places that you guys hunt is so different. I mean, one, just because of the volume of ducks, we're able to hunt places that you guys aren't able to hunt because we've got, 10 times more, you know, in our flyway. And so y'all are having to dial in kind of the places that you're looking for and what the ducks are looking for. Talk a little bit about that. I mean, the word that's come up the most over the last, say, 48 or 72 hours is invertebrates. Mm. Yeah, give, give bugs. Us, yeah, give us a little 
bugs. Give us a little lesson on that. Yeah, introskeletons. So, you know, macro versus micro. Y'all definitely have got the macro of ducks, mm-hmm. okay? And when you have 300,000 ducks and you have 1,000 places, the numbers, obviously, you get more ducks in sure. one place or another. Where we're not dealing with that many ducks in one section of a state, we're doing it in the whole state. whole flyway, yeah. Yeah, the whole flyway is 300,000. And, and sometimes it's a little more, mm-hmm. depending on how cold it gets up north. But it could also be less. I mean, it yeah. could be 100,000 yeah. in either direction. Sure. Correct. And so, for us, you know, watching the migration over a period of 30 years, mm-hmm. you know, I'm 44, so I've been duck hunting since I was seven. So, I mm-hmm. should say it's longer than 30 years. Mm-hmm. I mean, I've been duck hunting longer than a lot of folks that are duck hunting mm-hmm. now are alive. Right. And seeing that migration year after year after year and a year and um, realizing that it's a macro approach to these these different duck species. Mm-hmm. Okay, now you heard me say species. You know, it's one thing to have wood ducks. Okay, a wood duck can survive in the woods. He's a forager. He lives in trees. He's a wood duck. Right. Mallards are not an eastern flyway duck. They're okay. a western, central, Mississippi flyway duck. Okay. So they're kind of a nouveau deal, even though Audubon shot them in 1868, sure. painted them. Okay. The black duck is definitely our duck. Okay. No, no doubt about it. Eastern Shore, Maryland, Eastern Shore, Delaware, all the, all the whole coast, all the way down, is our duck. But what I look for when I say species and invertebrates in the same sentence mm-hmm. is gadwall, widgeon, pintails, teal, mm-hmm. and of course you're going to have scalp too because they're kind of a Heinz fifty-seven. You know, they're they want to be a <laughs> diver. They really don't know. <laughs> They're like a, a – But they'll bail out a bad hunt in a hurry. Yeah, they will. <laughs> There's nothing like a ringneck to make it better. Mm-hmm. You know, they're like a che, uh, a Chevette. Is that it? What was the truck? What was it? Half a car and half a truck? Oh, did. the El Camino? The El, El Camino. Camino. <laughs> yes, that is a ringneck in the car world. That's I'll great. tell you what, when when a, when a ringneck or butterball or whatever you, whatever y'all want to call them, All when the they names. when they when they come swooping in and this jacks when they come in in a group yeah. of like nine or ten of them, just like they just look like horse flies coming at you, yeah, boots like the out, blue angels, yeah, <laughs> that's right. formation. But all those That's ducks awesome. are focusing on one thing, and and it's in, it's the invertebrate. So, mm-hmm. you know, I being in the land and timber business, I'm always looking at the details. You know, we look at we look at the trees and we see a forest, and I look at the forest to see the trees. Mm-hmm. Okay, and so when I see ducks in a certain place, I want to I want to know why they're there. Mm-hmm. I'm curious, right? So I walk over there. I mean, I literally walk over there, jump them up, whatever it takes, crawl in the woods where they are, looking around. Um, and then if I notice something, I said, well, what's that? So I started seeing this grass. Mm-hmm. I had to call some buddies of mine and biologists, and, and this is way back in the 90s. Sure. You know, figuring it all out. And so next thing I know, this grass started showing up wherever the ducks were in these flooded timber, cypress swamps, cut over hardwood mm-hmm. forest. Mm-hmm. We started seeing this 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 grass. Mm. It took me years to get there thinking about this because mm-hmm. I was always consumed with just shooting ducks. Right. Let's just go shoot ducks. Right. Right. 
Now, as I get older, I, I pay attention to the details of what species a duck and what do they want. And they're looking for invertebrates. Mm. They have to eat a pound of invertebrates a day to survive in, in a diet in the wintertime, obviously, cold. Mm. They eat a pound. So if you figure a gadwall might weigh a pound, maybe. Mm-hmm. That's a lot of That's caterpillars. a lot of little bitty bugs. Or bugs. Or, little yeah. bitty bugs. And it's mm. in that grass. So if you've got the grass, you got the ducks. That's the simple part of it. What's the optimal kind of grass? Well, it can be a number of different things. Uh, you know, it can be a manipulated, man-made type grass, like when they say moist soil. Okay. Um, that's obviously good. But it's that's man, in a way, that's man-enhanced, even though God grows it, but it's man-enhanced. What really you're looking for is a consistent water source in an isolated place that's not adjacent to human activity. Okay. What that means is that's a cut over in the middle of nowhere. Okay. So pressure. Yep. No and, pressure. And protection is important. Yep, big time. And, um, you know, when you clear cut a swamp, you have these huge bell-bottom trees. Mm-hmm. They've been sucking water from that area for as long as they've been alive, mm-hmm. 60, 70 years. Mm-hmm. So when you cut that tree, you're cutting off the pump. Okay. That water comes back under the ground and comes up and starts standing on the ground. It stands on the land. Mm. And, you know, obviously we have seasonal flooding like y'all do on the Mississippi. We have it on the Roanoke probably more pronounced because we have a lot of dams and the Corps of Engineers manages the water sure. levels throughout those lakes above us. And we're kind of the red-headed stepchild over here. They just dump it on us and say, good luck. <laughs> you know, He's, he's red-headed, but he's a legit child. Tough crowd. Oh, is he? Tough crowd. You're not adopted? <laughs> no. Are you sure? sure. I've, I've seen the tree his apple fell from. Oh, he's not okay. Adopted. He does have roots. Yeah. yeah, he's got, yeah Mine's just sure. a stump. <laughs> <laughs> That's so interesting, though, because in our part of the world – you know, clear cuts, logging, timber companies, I mean, they're they're the bastard child. Yeah. I mean, because... They're bad guys. Right. Because we're looking at giant... Well, for two reasons. One is because typically they're timbering on public ground. That's right. And so people are pissed off because oh, yeah, they're, they're like, made. you know... I mean, oak trees don't just grow back on their own. No, they don't. Um, and, and then secondly, they want to know where the money's going, going to... But then thirdly, they they typically just leave such a mess behind them. And so one of the things that's been interesting for me over the last couple of days is to hear you talk about how you timber sections, squares, you know, areas, and that actually because of the way y'all's because of the way y'all's trees grow, the cypress and tubelows so thick, um, that actually timbering those or grinding them or you know however you you want to manipulate them that that's beneficial in in our part of the world, that would be detrimental. Yeah. It's interesting to me. Part of that's duck species, but part of it's also habitat. I Correct. Mean, yeah, so what I'm getting at is, you know, you go into our, our areas that we call WMAs or wildlife management areas, or even we have a federal wildlife refuge that you can draw sure. a tag and go hunt. You know, you ride in there from the public access, which is your river or your creek or your gut or your slough, whatever. The first thing I notice when I ride in there is obviously you see bell-bottom trees, mm-hmm. and you look way off in the forest, and it's just dark. 
It's mm-hmm. nothing. Mm-hmm. I mean, it looks like it ought to just be the swamp thing come mm-hmm. walking up out of there any right. minute. And I guess if we had three or 400,000 mallards like y'all do in a season, we would have ducks in those areas, mm-hmm. and we'd have opportunities to hunt them in right. those areas. That's right. But we don't um, because there's no food value in there. Uh, if there is an oak tree and it, it does have an acorn crop, the very first flood via a hurricane or a rain event that's four hours northwest of us that causes a lake to have 20 feet plus of water dump into mm-hmm. it, they're going to dump it out and then they're going to dump it on us and those acorns are going to be in the Albemarle Sound and mm-hmm. that doesn't do ducks in the, the Roanoke River Devil's Gut area. It doesn't do them any good. Mm-hmm. My point being is is the ducks adapt. Mm-hmm. Okay, so what we're talking about is a 12-year deal. I mean, it's 12 years old. They said, what do you mean it's 12 years old? 12 years ago was the first time that the equipment had advanced. I mean, in 2003 was the first time we got hydraulic equipment from Canada that was called shovel logging, okay? So shovel logging is not like some old logging techniques, brand new. So when it got to eastern North Carolina and the loggers that chose to spend their life's worth buying this expensive right. equipment, they did so. And then it started clear-cutting these swamps and getting wood out that otherwise you couldn't gotten with a helicopter or floating it out or manpower cutting mm-hmm. it down and, and floating it out. Mm-hmm. They started getting out. Everybody says they're ruining it. They're ruining everything. They're, they're just ruining the environment. You know, me being a, a biologist and a land manager and a timber land owner and a timber marketing person, meaning I helps people sell their timber to the right market, I went and looked at these tracks, and the first thing I noticed was succession. They were creating succession on these properties Mm. and from that succession sunlight hits the forest floor Mm -hmm. in this case mud Mm -hmm. or it was soil that was really fertile and had not seen sunlight in like 80 years Mm -hmm. so it just woke it up it woke it up all the fertility that had been just laying dormant there boom explodes right and it just has in the last 12 years made the biggest impact on the waterfowl population that I've seen on the Roanoke River in 20 so, years. So in poor folk terms, you can go into a dense forest of cypress and tupelo. You can harvest it, grind down whatever's there, and basically leave it as a clean cutover. Grasses grow back up, and you're telling me that yep. becomes duck habitat. That is. That's amazing. Now – a lot of the times the ducks bring it with them. Hmm. You know, God's very creative. He has animals that hurt, have certain appendages and feathers and beaks that are shaped a certain way. I don't know what he did with a shovel or other than just make a shovel, I guess. Capacity. There you go. Capacity. They it's got a filter. There, yeah, there, there. He, he's good he's looking, got, though. He's got junk in the purple jacket. Nook and stuff. Yeah, he's got <laughs> a purple jacket. He's going to church, yeah. So the, He's all dressed up. He's all dressed up, nowhere to go. <laughs> But the the uh, purpose of all those things, autonomy-wise, make that duck a adaptive species. It's going to find a food source to survive. Mm-hmm. 
And, um, and you're saying they bring it with them either stuck to their wings, stuck to their yeah, feet, they legs. or Yep, they hitchhike it. Um, I mean, you look at any boat ramp in America, and it says on the boat ramp, make sure you clean your trailer, your wheels, your yeah. axles. Right. They don't want you to bring these That's right. these weeds into these other bodies of water. They ask you that when you're crossing the border. Sure. I mean, you have firewood. They ask yeah. you if you've had a boat. That's I right. Mean, yeah, they, they don't want you moving things. And and there are really harmful pests there that are. travel based on – I mean, they, they attach to the – I mean, pigweed is that way. Like, yes. Like, they, don't, they want you to mowers. clean your combine, mowers, yep. all that kind of stuff. So – it's wow. the same sort of thing. I mean, like we, yeah, I've I've totally lost where I, I'll cut it out. But what was the? It was like when we were talking about, and you said that the the fire ants came in on the sweet potato crates. Yeah. So yeah, Just that's a good example. You yeah. know, you're right, uh, Spence. Things do move with humans. I mean, we. We unfortunately are eclectic and we're dirty mm-hmm. and uh, we have a lot of baggage. Right. And, you know, a good example was as we were talking about sweet potatoes in North Carolina. It's a huge crop. It's mm-hmm. cash crop. It's really saved the farmland from mm-hmm. tobacco being cut back, cut back, cut back. Tobacco in North Carolina was a big deal. Mm-hmm. Not anymore. The sweet potato is. Okay. So you have to have sweet potato boxes in order to get them to the grading house okay well these boxes get set down and they get moved from state to state or they get bought and carried on a truck it only takes a couple fire ants to be staying in that box from where they were sitting on the ground where there's fire ants prolifically looking for a place to make home next thing you know we got fire ants Mm. and lots of them and and i think that's a big detriment to our small turkey populations and quail not saying that's the silver bullet that shot them. I'm just saying that that's yeah. an example of a hitchhiking event mm-hmm. that, that didn't go so well. It didn't help. Yeah. It didn't I mean, go so well. So you're saying just recently y'all have gotten fire ants. Correct. Yeah, I would say in the last 20 years, fire ants have gotten so prolific. That's the way I feel it is about home. I mean, 20 years ago, we didn't have fire ants. Not as bad, for sure. I mean, I've got 12 or 14 piles in my yard. Trip loves to pour vinegar over the top of them because it kills them or yeah. disrupts it. But I mean, they just go somewhere else. But I mean, I can't. I can if I cut the yard on Saturday, you'll have three or four week, hills. Yeah, absolutely. I I have a half a dozen by the next Saturday. I mean, I'll mow over five or six, and then they'll relocate by the next Saturday. That was not the case twenty years ago no. when I was coming out of college or in college, and I was cutting grass. I mean. 2001, 2002, 2003, 2004. I bet I bet in those four years I mowed, I don't know, 100 yards a week for four years. And, I mean, it's how I put myself through college. Yeah. I bet I didn't mow over a single fire ant pile in yeah. those four years. Dang. Not, not one. And now – it doesn't matter what whose yard you go to or the ball fields or they're, they're everywhere. Prolific. They're, they're bad. very prolific. Hmm. Yeah. So one thing I will say about fire ants, I'm going to give you a positive. Y'all give me plenty okay. of negatives. I'm sure there's a lot of people out there going to call in and say, hey, man, let me tell you about how bad they are. <laughs> well, let me tell you about how good they are in my business. Uh, one of my businesses is we look for sand. Mm. Okay. Okay. And we, we have to get drill rigs, and we have to drill every Six feet, we put on another stick of pipe, another stick of pipe, another stick okay. of pipe, and we, we count the how many pipes that we stick so we know how deep it is. Well, an average sa- uh, sand hole is six feet deep. Okay. The average fire ant mound is the same depth. So if there's a fire ant mound, 
they're you six they're feet saying. deep in that ground. So what you look for, what I look for when I walk on a piece of land looking for sand, Whoa. everybody says, can you smell it? No, I can just see it. Yeah. Good Lord, put a big, big, big yellow highlighter <laughs> X on top of where the sand is. So I is. look for the fire ant mounds because those fire ants are bringing that dirt up from the deepest part because obviously you just can't go dig a hole and it not cave in. It's right. So I look at the top of a sand hill of a fire ant mound, and sometimes I'll either kick it and make them mad just to see how many there is. But I look at it, and I see what kind of sand is there. And what color right. it is yeah. and everything. And the consistency of the granulations. And so in the sand business, we're not just looking for sand. Right. You know, we're looking for the coarseness, the fines. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, gosh, we'd love it. You know, the gold mine is when you hit the gravel of it. Okay. But what, what I really appreciate about the um, – the fire ants is they're like little mobile natural gods digging drill rigs. Okay. So there's the positives of fire ants, if there is one. What was it? Uh, Dr. Chamberlain put out that research about anting. Mm-hmm. You heard about this? Mm-hmm. Where the turkeys will essentially get themselves covered up in ants, and then the ants will eat other little microorganisms and other little things on them. Mm. It's interesting. So it's kind of like lice. It's like the first day of school. Pretty much. Yeah. yeah you I get always that used lice to get lice. Could you imagine being those folks who are like trapping turkeys and they go out there and they start picking up turkeys to try to ban them or something like that and, and just just, just mauled by so, fire ants? So probably 15 years ago, I killed a turkey in the Mississippi River bottoms. And his crawl was so full of the biggest, I guess they're called deer ticks, the big, thick ones. I mean, they're wow. dang near the size of a dime. Wow. Whoa. All right, so that, if that's one story, the other story is I killed a turkey a few years ago in Milder States in Brownsville who was strutting underneath a big red oak tree, and he was so full of those Catawba worms mm. that his crawl was just stretched to its max. Both of those two events were so bizarre and so disgusting when I cut into his crawl <laughs> that I made a mental note. To not try to understand what turkeys eat or wear yeah. on their body. This is they're true. weird. Yeah. <laughs> okay. There you so, go. Yeah, they're so. definitely the closest relation we have of uh, dinosaurs. Yeah. Other I mean, than the pterodactyl. I mean, the gray herring that flies across oh, the sky. Man. That's right. So, Sand all that Hill being cranes. said, if you told me that a hen turkey, or if I read Dr. Osborne say that a hen turkey let herself get covered in, in ants, I'd go. I'm thinking spa treatment. No, I mean, you know, some no, it's weird. just a chemical peel is all it is. Yeah, that's right what there. I'm thinking. It's no, that's an exfoliation. Oh, okay. <laughs> Dermabrasion. It's an yeah. ant mask. Okay. Hey, Tom. We're starting to get a little, oh, man. A little down the rabbit trail yeah. there. Turkeys but, are goofy critters, man. But hey. I would not be surprised, I mean, to read that. And I do read that. And yeah. I was... I was surprised, but I was not surprised. I guess that's my main point. So, anyways, I am very surprised at the t- conversation about invertebrates. I mean, yes. that, that's been very eye-opening for me because we don't talk about invertebrates. And I don't know if it's because we have so much water in our part of the world between rice and flooded beans and, you know, artificial water in addition to flooded timber. And I don't see that here because you guys have a lot of cotton and a lot of yeah. peanuts and so, a lot of... So let me explain to you my theory on this. Okay. All the ducks on the eastern flyway are French. Okay. Y'all's ducks speak A. 
So they don't, they don't shave their armpits is what yeah, you're saying. Yeah, they're very hairy. And all y'all's ducks are Canadians, okay? They're right. all Western Canadian right. ducks. Yep. And, right. and, and they speak A. You know, hard working. Hard working. <laughs> they live in the grain belt. They die by the grain belt. Yep. And, and so when they get to Arkansas, they're just like, wow, it's warm weather. It's sunny. Mm-hmm. Let, we're here. Throw out the beach towels and let's eat. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I like that's one hundred percent the way our ducks do. Yeah, they just they love the they beach. love the sunny days. Yes, they love got the little like, umbrellas. It's like going on a drink. picnic. Yeah. yeah, they don't care about eating. They eat at yeah, night. I mean, exactly. they 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 literally bask in the sunshine while it's daylight, and then at thirty minutes after legal shooting time, they'll eat for ten minutes. That's it. Just like a bunch of folks at the beach. Exactly. I mean, <laughs> That's so, a great comparison. Go, go ahead. So, so yeah. our East Coast ducks, let me give you my theory on it. And I've been up there. I've, I've, I've caribou hunted and I've bear hunted in the spring when I saw a lot of ducks nesting. Other than speaking French, they're funny. They, they live in an environment, even in the springtime after the thaw, when they arrive back, that is nothing but lush, green, grasses, forbs, uh, lily pads, hyacinth, there's hydrilla. There's nothing but invertebrates. Mm. They don't leave their place of, of nesting grounds and, and travel through this massive grain belt where there's just all this, like, free food and, you know, drive-through restaurants where you can just get whatever <laughs> you want and keep on traveling down Route 66. I mean, it is nothing but... I've never heard a better explanation of Kansas, Nebraska, North Dakota, South Dakota. Yeah. That's great. So I'm just saying that what I figured out long ago, and because we, we managed a duck club that when I was a young, young child, and, and, and you know, you have very impersonal, I mean, there's just impressions that are made on mm-hmm. you. There's n- smells mm-hmm. and sounds mm-hmm. and then big Cadillacs, <laughs> big Cushy sea oh, Cadillacs, yeah. okay? Land yeah. yachts. Land yachts, and they would just right. woo, woo. So I rode with my dad and a man named Joe Blow. Yeah, that's the bubblegum guy. Hold on just a second. Your dad's hunting buddy was named Joe Blow. Joe Blow, no no bull. Joe know the play? Yeah. Like Joe legit, Blow. his name Joseph was Joe Blow. Glenn Blow. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. And – um, That's we, awesome. We drove all the way to, to this Chincoteague Bay. Couldn't even spell it. Bless you. Yeah. And they took these burlap bags, and they were just shoveling all this stinky grass in this bag and throwing it in the back of this brand-new car-smelling Cadillac mm. and drove it all the way back to a, a town called Pamlico County, Merritt. And uh, my dad was how – would, How would Val have told you – to fill up those bags with, with – give me your best Val impression of uh, – Son, you need to put a little more in there, uh, and you need to use your hands to put more – Son, get a bigger handful. And I'd look at him on the bank, and he hadn't even loaded one bag yet, and he's telling me exactly how to do it as if he had done it like a million times. And so at six and seven years old, you really get an impression that your dad knows it all. Right. And if you don't believe it, he will tell you. You've got sulfur smelling mud under I mean, every it's, fingernail. It's, I, I, no, that's fish from the night. But I could smell it for a long time under my, my fingernails. That's great. You know. Right. And it just, it, it, the impression upon me was so profound, I just couldn't believe what we were doing. So why were y'all relocating grass? Well, we had an opportunity to lease or purchase 
a piece of ground that was a mosquito-controlled, dug federal government project to try and kill mosquitoes. Okay. Newburn, North Carolina is a very prominent area on the coast of North Carolina. Didn't really catch on like Moorhead City or these other fancy coastal towns. But it was a very prominent area because they invented Pepsi Cola there. Mm. You know, that's that little sugar drink everybody drinks now, you know. Mm. And hadn't, we hadn't heard of it in our part of the country. Oh, okay. Yeah. That's that, uh, most of the times, like, is Pepsi, Pepsi okay? Yeah, you know, Pepsi, I'll take a sweet Pepsi, tea. Yeah. <laughs> Pepsi's <laughs> the B team delight. It is. You got a, a Coke. But we got Cheerwine. We got wah, Pepsi. Cheerwine's wah. good. Cheerwine's I'll, good. I right, like right, cheer We got wine. one taker for Cheerwine here. Uh, <laughs> Have you had it, Spence? No, I've, I've had Pepsi. I've not had Cheer Cheerwine's pretty good. Put some liquor in it and you'll drink it. <laughs> um, the point is that they they really did not want mosquitoes. They were scared of them. We had malaria then. Yeah. Okay. You know, going on. It was all these, you know, mosquitoes were bad. And so they were spraying mosquitoes. Okay. Spraying, spraying, spraying. And oh, they yeah. needed to concentrate the mosquitoes where the larvae hatch could be the most beneficial. So they had these impoundments. And I call them impoundments, even though that's a nouveau word, Um they just called them mosquito ponds, and the water was like six to ten inches, and they would wait till a larvae hatch and before rain, and they'd just fly insecticide on these ponds and wow. kill them. Yeah, they'd kill them. And then all of a sudden, the federal government said, you know, this isn't working. we got a new administration. We're going to change our budget numbers, and we're not going to do this anymore. Well, Weyerhaeuser, who owned the dirt because they thought it was good timber-growing land, uh, said, you know, this isn't growing good. Warehouse timber. out of Mississippi. The Warehouser Timber Company is probably a large holding corporation in Mississippi. It's, it they started in Newburn, North Carolina. I did not know that. Yep. Yep. So they said, you know, this land is worthless to us. We need to sell it. So they put an article in the Wall Street Journal: land for sale, five thousand acres, waterfowlers' paradise. And Joseph Glenn Blow bit the hook. My dad, Val Valentine, came in. He was a young guy, energetic, saying, hey, look, I know what we can do. I've heard about this stuff. Let's go get it. Right. So this grass really started there. And then from there, everybody else started kind of copying it, and they would call Joe, and they'd come over there and get some of the grass, and they would try to sprig it. The one thing I do remember, uh, other than sleeping a lot and waking up with, like, burlap bag, like, impressions on my face (laughs) that smelled really bad from the mud. That's a sight picture. <laughs> was a thermometer. Oh, Mr. yeah. Mr. Blow put a thermometer in the mud, and it had to be 62 degrees. So it was always really cold, and then when we got there, it was kind of warm and sunny, and next thing you know, it was time to throw this stuff out. But, I mean, he was checking the temperature of the ground just like a farmer would. Yep, like plant corn, corn, corn or anything else. Yep, and so he, he knew. I'll he had be. studied it. But then it became other things, too. So it was the invertebrates that were living in the grass. The invertebrates that lived in the grass were shrimp larvae, and crab larvae, mm. and they had to have certain salinity accounts. So now that water management technique had to come in play, and that was a lot of work for him. And I always remember my dad and I going out there and trying to help fix pumps or change oil or carry diesel fuel in that case. But um, I learned a lot at a young age that, that you know man can have a certain impact on Mother Nature and, and land, and it can be positive for a lot of things, and, and that was a profound effect on me. Mm-hmm. And we did that for 26 years. Mm. So for 26 years, I got an education as a child, duck hunting and learning why and asking questions, what's going on here? Mm-hmm. 
and invertebrates were always in the equation. I think it's so interesting to talk to somebody, and I don't mean this in a pompous way at all, but to talk to somebody who doesn't live in a place where the birds are plentiful. Yeah. Because, like, where the places we can shoot ducks in Arkansas, just because of the sheer volume of them, is completely different than the places you can shoot ducks, simply because you're you're not dealing with as many ducks yeah. over the same amount of area. I mean, and then and then secondly, you mentioned something yesterday that I thought was really really interesting. You were talking about when you started farming. Yes, and I, I want you to say that um, you you were talking about how when you're dealing with Mother Nature. You, know, you can't hurry some things, and it, like it's it happens in its time. Uh, go there for just a second. Yeah, yeah. Farming's like soul rehabilitation. Um, if you if you if you need your soul rebuilt, just go farm. Get some dirt under your hands. Uh, douse yourself in some chemicals because you just didn't push the right button when you're mixing the sprayer. <laughs> oh gosh! And uh, feel the burn. Feel the burn. Yeah, feel the burn. No, I I, I don't want to feel the burn, Bernie. I, I voted the other way. <laughs> the The point in farming is this. We want to make money. We're farmers, right? Right. We, everybody's either a planter in history, and now it's cool to be a farmer. Right. We had $9 corn. We had $16 beans. We had $1.20 cotton. Right. You were making money. Right. You were driving green. You were showing off. Right. If you drove blue, it's because you, you, you know, it was paid for and your granddaddy gave it to you. <laughs> And if you drove red, you just didn't know any better because the dealer was just really good at selling you red equipment. So it was cool to drive green. Right, right. And I just, you know, my world in the real estate development world was always you could start a project as quick as you could start the project if you had enough where all to push it mm -hmm. or people that could get the permits to push it through and get the license to do it. Right. Well, farming's not that way. It, it doesn't matter how many tractors you have. Start, what you're saying is starting and finishing were two totally different things. Yes, yes. Okay. You, you could start something farming, but you couldn't finish it because of the weather. Mm. So then you had to start looking ahead of things and saying, okay, it's going to rain or it might rain or the soil's too cold or the soil's too warm or the, seed, the, the growing days were too mm -hmm. short. And so you'd, you'd book your corn seed in February – at the farm show, and, and, and then your ground wouldn't be ready until middle of April. Mm -hmm. Well, now you've picked the wrong variety, so you'd have to go back, find your growing days, and get a shorter growing day because your plant date was going to be too late. Mm -hmm. it, it just taught me a tremendous amount because I didn't grow up farming. Mm -hmm. I mean, I lived in Concreteville mm -hmm. City. Never made it outside the mm -hmm. city until I could drive. Mm -hmm. And um, I, I didn't know anything about farming. And you lived in a development world where the harder you push, the yeah, quicker it happens. That's right. And you were saying to me last night, farming is cathartic for your soul because yeah. it's like when it's time, it happens. It does. When it's not time, it doesn't happen. Correct. And I mean, yeah, you can't pick your grain when it's too wet. You, you, can't, you can't bale your hay when it's mm -hmm. too wet. That's right. You can't plow your field when it's too wet. You right. can't plant. Right. So then you have to start, if you're creative, you start looking at the micro approach to everything you do, and you say, okay, it's the little things that I do that are going to make the difference, um, whether it be able to get onto my ground sooner or to get off the ground sooner. And so then you start studying, and, and very mm -hmm. similar to what I've done duck hunting, mm -hmm. I study. 
Mm-hmm. I mean, I, either I read or I listen to people or, I, you know, we didn't have videos back then. We didn't mm-hmm. have YouTube. You had to read books or you had to get a magazine. Right. Uh, you, you just hoped that you went to the barbershop right. and they had the, the somebody didn't take <laughs> that edition of the, you know, the DU magazine. So we learned. But farming taught me that, that details matter, that ducks are just like crops. They're not ready to come, and you've got to be able to wait on them. You've got to know when to be there to be ready to get those crops out of the ground. And that is, a, that is definitely a life lesson in farming, that you cannot rush something that's not ready. That sounds so simple, but, I mean, I'm telling you, I laid in bed last night. I stared at the ceiling and thought about that. I mean, because it's really true. Some things you can push. Some things you can't push. Knowing the difference between the two is really important. Because the things you can't push, when you push them, it destroys them. Yeah. The things you can push do just fine when you push them. But knowing which one you're dealing with, whether it's a business deal or whether it's a crop, I mean, that's all the difference in the world. It's the difference between success and failure. Correct. And I mean, that. Again, it sounds so simplistic, but you said that yesterday afternoon, and I, I thought about that. And I've got a couple of deals I'm working on in the business world that I would like to go faster. Mm-mm. You know, especially this year because long-term capital gains oh, taxes we're worried are going to change. You yeah. know, and so I'm thinking, well, I, we've got to get this done by the end of the year. And I've been worried about it. And I, I, I mean, I heard you say that yesterday, and I thought to myself, you know what? Some things just can't be pushed, like. Like you just have to, at some point in time, you have to have faith, you have to have trust, and you have to be able yeah. to distinguish between what can be pushed and what can't be pushed. And I thought that was so interesting because I thought back to, you know, I've not farmed at the scale you have farmed, but I have farmed enough to know, you know, when I'm trying to get out of the field and plant my dove fields in March, and it's just the ground's not ready, it's cold, it's wet, like, I can spend four weeks doing something that when the ground is ready, the second week of April, I can do in two days. Yeah. And so I'm just wasting my time. I'm wasting my effort. And um, so it's a great lesson in farming, but it's also a great lesson in life. And and I appreciate you kind of elaborating on that because, man, that, that really, really registered for me that, you know, knowing what you can and cannot hurry is a big deal. Yeah. I appreciate that experience. And, um, you know, the other thing, too, that I saw, and I'll, I'll touch on this and maybe jump into a different subject, is farming land that's on a river corridor is, is, is they call it the devil's child. They, anybody that farms tells you that the land around a river is the devil's child because you can't control it. Mm-hmm. You can't control what the river does. It, it's going to flood. It's going to be drought. Hmm. You know, it's going to dry up. That's right. Yeah. They're going to cut the trees, and next thing you know, your fields are wet, your ditches are clogged up, <laughs> and now you can't get in there. All right, so it's the devil's child. But the one thing I realized when I was farming a river corridor farm that we had was here I am trying to get every inch of up against the ditch, uh, a lot of times spraying over the ditch. And I started noticing habitat loss, you know, and then I'm over out there combining wheat, and I'm running over turkeys and killing mm-hmm. turkeys and squashing eggs, and I started feeling bad. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but all I could think about was my family and, you know, my little boys and, and the truck payment that was mm-hmm. going to be late if I didn't get this load to the mill. And, and even as I drove the load to the mill with a sense of uh, nostalgic uh, happiness, 
I knew that the money was already spent and allocated. And, I, mm-hmm. and, I, and then when I drove back to the farm late that night after waiting in line for hours, and I parked the truck and it's dark, and I just realized I ran over 24 turkey eggs. Mm-hmm. And I said, God will make more, I guess. But And, and then the next day, again, it, it, you couldn't just start the next morning cutting wheat. It was too wet. The dew had fell. So you had to sit there and wait. You had to sit there and wait. You had to sit there and wait. And you'd look and you know ride up and down the field. And you walk out in the field and you take samples and it'd be <laughs> too wet. And you know, knowing you'd go, full well what time it was going to be yeah, dry, yeah. just trying to hurry. It yeah, along. I was just trying to hurry it along. <laughs> and then I kept every time we would cut, we would we'd hit another turkey. I mean, there he is. She's nesting. Um, and I'd bail wheat straw because I was also one of those guys that I, I, I believe that there's anything that God makes that you make, there's a recycle part of it, and don't throw nothing away. Okay, so don't don't throw that solo cup away. I'm going to use it <laughs> later. Um, <laughs> the the point I'm making is, you know, here I am trying to get every last inch mm-hmm. of the crop up, and I'm bailing into the night, and I bail up a mother turkey I crush all her eggs, and I bail the entire turkey in the baler. Oh. Okay? And I'm on a farm mm. that's literally, we make more money farming, I mean, growing food for wildlife and hunting wildlife than I do farming. Mm-hmm. And I'm farming 300 acres. Right. I should make, I should be able to make, you know, $150,000 farming mm-hmm. easily. Any mm-hmm. farmer would say that on good land. Mm-hmm. I wasn't doing it. I was actually costing myself money because I was killing turkeys. Right. And, and and I just I, – I remember coming out one day, and the wheat was great. I mean, it was 6 $7 wheat. The straw was 80 bushels, you know, 80 bales to the acre. Mm-hmm. They were laying everywhere. And I felt really proud of myself that I'd cut this whole field and I had all these bales to pick up, which, you know, that is a labor of tents of work. <laughs> and, uh, you know, you really – you really just don't know. At 39 and a half years old, I have retired from hay. Are you <laughs> of all forms? So all forms of hay. I get yeah. it. Hay uh, is also something you cannot hurry. Yeah, and I and I'm just um, <laughs> telling you that I had one of those profound moments that I realized I was going backwards. I looked across mm. the whole field, and there wasn't a green spot in the whole field. There was nothing green. Mm-hmm. I'd either sprayed a herbicide or an insecticide on it. There wasn't any bugs. There was nothing but cut wheat that was gone and straw bales sitting there. And I said to myself, well, I'm going to plant beans behind it. I'm going to give the deer something to eat. Mm -hmm. And then I thought about it the next day. You know, 30 weeks later, I saw deer in the field, and I wanted to shoot every one of them because they were eating my beans. (laughs) I just just realized that farming is a a negative thing for wildlife. Mm. You cannot push commercial farming on wildlife it doesn't work and 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 so it just made me pull back and say you know what i'm gonna do one or the other Mm -hmm. so i got out completely Mm -hmm. and i think it's been the best thing ever for these river corridor farms because now you go there and you see immense amount of turkeys and wild quail and Mm -hmm. you know you see healthy deer Mm -hmm. you know pretty interesting we've been to three different farms i guess correct in the last two days yep. and yesterday we were doing a little interview close to an impoundment we had turkey i mean uh quail, quail whistling whistling yep. yep we've seen several big flocks of turkeys i mean on each property yep yep yeah so i i tell you this and i've heard this through a book called the bible i call it the bible 
It's the Strawdered Book of Quail. Right. It's written in the 20s. Uh, if you can find one, it's it's pretty rare. You can mm-hmm. probably go to go to the Library of Congress. That are just ordered off Amazon. <laughs> <laughs> it's probably pretty not, rare. Probably not got it on Prime. Uh, probably. Yeah, depends on <laughs> you know what button you click. You can probably find it now. But anyway, I read the book Strawdered, and and Strawdered's main point in the whole process of of it was, you know, you leave the layout, the mm-hmm. land lays out, you get mm-hmm. it fuzzy. And if you're managing, you're seeing quail come back and you're seeing turkeys, next thing you know, you're seeing deer and you're seeing rabbits mm-hmm. and you're seeing hawks and you're seeing owls and you're seeing eagles and you're seeing waterfowl. Like used. it's a whole circle of it's life. It's a circle of life. Yeah. And and so when man tries to push on it and take out the avian predators and mm-hmm. let's, let's trap all the fur-bearing egg eaters, well, what about the rats? Mm. What about the rats? You know, the the avian predators were eating the rats, and 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 the foxes and the coyotes, and well, well they were eating. There's consequences to that. Yeah, they were eating the, the they were eating yeah. the possums and the raccoons mm-hmm. and the rabbits. But now they're they're you're you're messing with those bundles and pulling them out of the spoke, and and you know God can't make His wheel roll. Mm-hmm. So you need to get your place back where it's right, and that hub is is the habitat, it's the home, mm-hmm. and and you got to respect that and understand it and know when not to mess with it. Mm-hmm. And don't get me wrong, now there there's different species that need to be messed with, i.e., beavers, nutrients, <laughs> muskrats. You know, there's coyotes, there's wild dogs. I mean, there's a lot of feral cats now. Sure. Those things don't belong in the environment, and and you know when you get to a notable level of them, you need to remove them. Yeah, yeah. This this to me, a lot of what you're saying sounds a lot like what David Hawley was talking about about for sure about the burning because you you really like to burn oh, on your properties, and, yeah. and and I'd like to get to that more here in a second. But talking about kind of like it's like you're creating a mosaic of different habitats in different stages at yep. all times. Correct. So you got Osborne Osborne talked about that a lot too. Yeah. Just I'm just that, talking relative to I'm sorry, people we've Osborne. had on the podcast. Chamberlain. Chamberlain. Mike, I sincerely apologize. Doug, I also apologize. <laughs> Both good friends of ours. That's right. But uh you're right. Mike Mike was the one who was talking about how you can't just look for a silver bullet. Right. The coach's bigger view. There's a bigger view. Yeah. And so Yes, you can. You maybe you can re- remove forty or fifty raccoons, but the raccoons replenish themselves, and there's yep. more factors involved in nest. You know, success like the success of nesting turkeys yep. than just one critter. Yep. One, you know, like yep. it's just bigger than that. You know, yeah. it's a bigger circle yep. of life. Yep. Yeah, and we're just a little bitty. Doug, Doug would agree with that. I've had enough conversations with Doug that he would not argue with yeah i mean we're <laughs> total doug, doug and micro pals that's right <laughs> yeah we were put on this earth to be stewards that's right you know not creators no and not destroyers but stewards, stewards. You're, you're right about that stewards and and stewards are protectors of their flock that's right you know they had a staff that's right yep. and that was all they had they didn't right. have an ak-47 and the right. staff like they do now they also um, represented an authority that was not theirs correct which is something cool when you start really thinking about yep. that. You're like, oh. And stewards were not only expected to maintain what was there. There's a very clear implications in the in in the Bible yep. that stewards were also supposed to grow what was there. That's right. You know, not 
yeah. not not maintain or reduce, but but to actually promote the I mean, parable the of the talents. Par- exactly, the parable of the talents is exactly the one I was thinking of. Yep. That the one who just preserved the few he got. Yep. You know, he's Supposed the one who got better. fussed at. Yeah, he's <laughs> right. Yeah, he's the one that they got <laughs> stolen or died or burned up or right. You know, ravished, and and that's where I come from again on fire. I mean. Uh, fire is the number one wildlife tool, but it's also a, a, a tool that the Native Americans use to keep mm. forest healthy. Mm. You know, we get a haircut for a mm-hmm. reason. Mm-hmm. You know, well, some people don't. I, know, I could probably but, use one about now. You know, I just got one. What are you looking at me like that for? I, it's just the cornrows. <laughs> yeah, I'm glad you didn't see me three days ago. Oh, you cut them. I got one Friday afternoon at 3 o'clock. The dreads. You yeah. cut the dreads and left the cornrows. Okay, good. <laughs> I had the Justin pay, Bieber. I had the I'd Justin good Bieber money to see long, that long before Justin was even. Did a, you put the little beads in your hair? No, I never did that. <laughs> no. Or the tinfoil? No, my, no my, mom, my mom and dad loved me more than that. Oh, good. <laughs> no, I, I was not allowed to. <laughs> no. We just rabbit trailed pretty. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm not even going to hit the button on that one. You know, they We're, say silence is golden. Yeah. Not how on much, the podcast. How much was that worth? That was <laughs> worth a lot. No, but, silence is golden, but when you have boys, it's suspicious. Yeah. <laughs> Seriously, I remember Gosh, that. When I, was a, when I was a camp counselor for a number of years, yeah. everything was yeah. fine, but when everybody went hush, you're like, you better something figure out what's going weird. on. Yeah. Somebody <laughs> Some... had put their hand on something they shouldn't have had. <laughs> oh, that's what my wife says. Or was stealing something. Yeah, that's or... what I mean. They put their oh, hand okay, fair on enough. something they shouldn't have. <laughs> something was being stolen. We're not sure what, but something. Jeez. Oh, man. Back to stewards. Yeah. That, that's a really good word, though, that yeah. <laughs> that we're called to be stewards of the land. And, and I mean, that's our that's our job here on, on earth. And, mm-hmm. I mean. So, so talk to us more about how you use fire on your properties. Well, you know, I, I got an opportunity in forestry school to burn this forest that was really, it's really famous. It's called Sheck Forest. And, and Sheck Forest is, is where the forestry school gets to protect and, and graft trees and learn about a lot of different new techniques. Well, I can remember burning it. and uh, the, the t- I don't listen very well. So the teacher said, don't start a head fire. I thought a head fire meant that, you know, when the wind was blowing in your face, that that meant that the fire was okay. You could start a head fire, you know. (laughs) I didn't realize that if I started it, it went behind me. Oh, gosh, yeah. And and it got really hot. Right. And I always liked that. I like going fast. And (laughs) That's not exactly ideal for control burns. That's not how you do a control burn with a head fire. So, So you started this thing. Yeah, so you got to really start with a back burn, and and you need to know your conditions. It's again back like farming again. Yeah, you look at your humidity, you look at your wind, you look at your your cloud cover, you look at the forecast and and what's coming in. Maybe we got a cold front coming in, so then the wind's going to blow more. Mm. You know, so you try to pick that right day. It's 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 all yeah. back to that right day. Yeah, of and, what you want to accomplish. Okay, so to interrupt really quickly, so for people who have listened to to David, to Mike, to now you about about doing a burn, what sort of what are the steps? I mean, about how far out do you plan? I mean, do you talk to your local extension agent? How, what kind of permitting goes on? Do you just do it yourself? Do you? Yeah, so you got to get a permit through the Forest Service. Okay, a lot of states allow you to get them online. A lot of states have uh, agencies like uh, at a gas station that you can go and ask for a burn permit, 
and they'll actually write it out to you. Yeah. Uh, they'll explain to you, you know, these are the levels. So they'll, you know, Yogi the Bear will be there, and he'll say, you know, extremely high or low or moderate. And you, you obviously, they're not going to let you burn on high or extreme yeah. high um, fire risk days. But it, it's, again, it's up to you. You're the steward. Sure, sure. You're but the one that needs to know. And and they they have really gotten more uh, sophisticated now with so much weather information and humidities. Anytime it's below twenty percent humidity, I have to watch a lot because it's just become so volatile. A spark can go, one ember can go a mile when yeah. it's below twenty percent. Jeez! So wow. one ember, one little piece of I charcoal gotcha. can go one mile away. Under 20%. Yeah. So if you're not somebody who's ever done a burn before, I mean, is it the kind of thing that you just, like, no, will they you walk you through out. it? No, you need to reach out yeah. to a master burner. Okay. You can call the Forest Service. You can go through a list of different people in your area, talk to them. The first thing that they should tell you when you talk to them is they're going to come and set up a burn plan, Good. a yeah. burn management plan. And they're going to establish fire lines and mm. breaks in order to stop mm-hmm. the fire. Yep. They're going to look for water sources. They're going to look for road access. Um, you know, and that's gonna, an emergency plan in yeah. case they got to get a pump truck in there yeah. or something. Or bulldozers or anything. Sure. How close is it to the neighbors? You know, how many parcels of land is it in the in the whole plan? And obviously, big contiguous tracts of land are the best to work with in my book because there's no neighbors. Right. The only liability is yourself. Right. And that's up to you. You're the one that should be stewardship and, gotcha. and follow the proper steps. Uh, so once you've covered that, once you've got a master burner, once you've got a plan, once you've got your permit from the Forest Service, you need to then call dispatch. You need to then call the volunteer fire department. Um, okay. And it will notify them that, hey, I'm burning. If you're adjacent to a, a major highway that's going to have a lot of eyes and ears on you, you need to call the state highway patrol. Because they're probably going to call anyway because they might yeah. think it's something that out of control. Out of control. Yeah. 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 The do-gooders. The do-gooders of the world are going to call. Uh, but you, as the steward, are supposed to do this. And uh, it's very gratifying. Burning, to me, is exceptionally gratifying. A lot of people get super nervous when they're around me. Uh, burning. They, they, you know, they think they're going to burn up. They think I'm going to burn the They get nervous around you just when there's burning involved? or I think just fire. Just fire. Just fire. You don't think it's just you? Mm, it's probably me with a fire can that's on fire <laughs> in my hand. <laughs> Sometimes I feel like people get nervous around me because it's just me. I can only imagine if we burn things in my part of the world. I, I think people just get nervous because you have a duck call and a gun in your hand. We're cut out of the same cloth, Skip. I yeah, want I you to know that. I mean, yeah. you know that by now. Yeah, as long as I've got a fire can in my hand, I'm dangerous. For the last couple of days, people have been saying, oh, you've been on a Skip Adventure. That's cute. For 10 years, people have been saying, oh, you're on Spencer's Adventures. <laughs> Spencer's <laughs> like, Adventures. Like, uh, I haven't told you that, Skip, yet. Oliver's like, Travels. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> but I, I've been very impressed. You guys have quite an operation underhand. And, um, I mean, you, you've developed some amazing properties. One of the – amongst amongst a bunch of very profound things you've said over the last couple of days, one of the things you've said to me, not only about the patience thing and kind of letting things happen in their time, but, you know, 
you, you've got these hunting clubs, multiple clubs, multiple recreational properties. And I expected you to talk about what great opportunities they were. And what you've instead talked about is my job is to provide access. That's right. In a world, and, and, and I, I had lost sight of that because I wasn't thinking about, in our part of the world, there's tons of access. Yeah. Big tracts public. of land, public, private, all of the above. But, I mean, on the East Coast, man, you're, you're no place from Washington, D.C., from Rich yeah. in Virginia, from Raleigh, North Carolina, from Washington, D.C. Kitty I mean, Hawk, North Carolina. From Philadelphia. Yeah, I mean, you're no cities. peace from all these places. And access, just literally access to raw land is a big deal. Yeah. And so your, your management is even more scrutinized than it would be in our part of the world. Correct. Because if you don't like the way somebody's managing a piece of property, you just find the next piece. But, y'all, the, the, the access is so limited here on the East Coast that it, it really um, – that, that was a long way of saying, you know, kudos for, for, you know, being a good manager, a good steward of the land. Um, I mean, you're, you're doing something that's going to impact generations, and, and that's, uh, that's, that's worthy of we We like to think that they're like, you know, we don't own them. <laughs> you know, somebody says, well, oh, man, he owns a lot of land. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, my name's in the courthouse. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's not in the post office yet, but it's in the courthouse. <laughs> and... Um, but I don't look at myself as owning it. Mm-hmm. I just look at myself as managing it, and I'm just managing it to be one of those the last great places. Mm-hmm. That's it. It's going to be the last great place one day. Mm-hmm. And and I the pinnacle. I talked about the pinnacle of a property. And when do I ever think I'm done? Uh, you know, I'm done creating something, and I'm in the maintenance role. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm in the maintenance seat. Mm-hmm. So I'm never done. Right, but I'm done creating. Right, right. Then I'm at my pinnacle, and then, right. then when I get to that pinnacle is when I see things uh, like 25 turkeys in front of the truck, mm-hmm. or a covey of quail bust up out from under me. You know, scare me to death, and <laughs> I gotta go back to the truck. Right, my pants. <laughs> but, you know, those. But are that's the when pinnacle. you know you've done your job. Yeah, that's I when mean, you know you're doing your you're job. You're not looking for them; they just surprise you. I yeah. mean, that's what they that's respond what so to do. quick, right. and they're there. They're there because right. of what you've done. Mm. Well, I'm impressed, and I'm very excited about the opportunity to show the world some of your projects over the next few months. I mean, I think. Oh, we're gonna have fun. We are gonna have fun. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think these creatives are ready for the two of us to oh, be no. friends. They, they've never, they've <laughs> they never seen they these zebras, <laughs> have they? No, they hadn't. <laughs> Sleep is optional. Yeah. <laughs> trick po- trick ponies with pajamas. That's what I call us. <laughs> trick ponies with pajamas. That's fantastic. It's a new one for me. So, Well, we need to get you back on some other time because I'd like to hear about some more zebras. No doubt. On a yeah. different continent. Yes. For yeah. real, though. We'll I, do I, it. I, I mean, we're only two days into a five-day project, and I, wow. I thoroughly, thoroughly—I'm not sure that you or I, either one, are, are have have what it takes to get to day five. But we're gonna try. Yeah, I just need to do part two because I want to hear about Mongolia and Marco Polo sheep and. Oh, we hadn't oh, even gone man. there, have oh, we? Gosh. Well, seriously though, I've, that's a whole I've, other life. Yeah, that's another story. Well, call, that call me tomorrow, and I'll maybe talk about it. <laughs> well, I have very much enjoyed it. And uh, we've got a lot of fun things ahead of us. So, um, if you're in, if you're on the East Coast and you need a hunting club, Skip Valentine, VAP Inc. It's a great place to look. 
Well, good stuff. Seriously, though, this it's been really fun, and uh, this is just the beginning, and we're we're really grateful for your friendship. Thanks for having and, me. Yeah, man. Absolutely. Heck yeah. Thanks for having us. Well, so. thanks for joining us for another episode of the Rolling Thunder Podcast. All right. Y'all be good. See you on the next one. See ya.